Welcome to the IBCD Care and Discipleship Podcast. One of the greatest blessings of working here at IBCD is that we get to come across great books and resources that we found are helpful and then bring in the authors who have brought those to us and have them speak for us so we can get to know them and then also have their content available on our site to help people who are in the trenches of one another care. And today is one of those days. And we have Zach Eswine and his wife, Jessica, with us today. And I remember about two years ago, I was introduced to the book Spurgeon's Sorrows at a CCF conference. They were uh, letting us know about that, and I picked it up and read it on the plane ride back uh, to California, and then we shared it amongst the staff here at IBCD and just were really blessed by it. And then later on, picking up The Imperfect Pastor and just getting to know uh, you even more through that, Zach. It was a real blessing. And so we've been looking forward to having you both here. And Zach is here for our ministry weekend talking about the imperfect pastor and also Spurgeon Sorrows. And so we're looking forward to talking through some of those things together. So Zach and Jessica, thanks for being with us. It's great to be with you, Craig. Yeah, thanks for having yeah. us. For those who don't know you, uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Well, the, the basics, I'm a pastor in uh, at Riverside Church in Webster Groves, Missouri, and I direct homiletics at a seminary that's local there called Covenant Seminary. And um, uh, what else, Jessica? Would we say? And our three <laughs> kids: uh, Nathan is twenty-two, and Abigail nineteen, and and Caleb is thirteen. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm an attorney. I work for the Missouri Court of Appeals, and that's what I do during the week. And then just enjoy getting to uh, serve at our church. In different ways too. I work with the junior high and yeah, the kids you're doing ministry. some studies. Yes, and right now I'm working on a master's in apologetics. Oh wow! Are you doing that through Covenant then? Or? Actually, through Houston Baptist University. Oh, okay. Nice. Mm-hmm. We have uh, a former intern here that professors there. So you're on vacation then too, coming out here. Yes. From, yes. Yeah, okay. It's been nice. <laughs> good. good. That's fun. Wanted to talk some. You're both involved then. Well, Zach, since you're in pastoral ministry and involved in the seminary, just intersecting with people's lives. One of the things that our listeners often are dealing with is they're seeking to do that together as a couple. And sometimes the husband's in more of a leadership role. Sometimes the wife is very involved with women in the church. What does that dynamic look like for you two? And uh, how have you navigated some of those expectations and desires in ministry? Yeah, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, every 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 pastor, pastoral couple is different, and so what Jessica and I would say wouldn't necessarily be a model or paradigm for mm-hmm. anyone because uh, everyone's gifts are different in situations. But in our case, um, there are definitely uh, specific times where I'll ask Jessica to join me in a, a counseling environment, a pastoral counseling environment, not a you know, not a deep therapeutic environment, mm-hmm. but a pastoral counsel moment where we're listening and hearing someone in their confusion or trouble or pain, mm-hmm. particularly if it's a uh, a woman of faith and um, Jessica and I will go together. Um, or sometimes, because Jessica is so gifted with children in ministry, uh, sometimes we're going to visit someone and it's actually the the young person that we're going to see. And I asked Jessica to come because the young person will feel more comfortable that she's there, <laughs> um, you know, because of their trust and thankfulness for her. And then I guess on a, that that's kind of an occasional strategic choice like that. Yeah. Well, and I, um, Zach's always encouraged me since being a pastor's wife that I'm really just a member of the church, just like everyone else. And so that I have gifts that God's given me that I can use. And it's not certain ones I'm supposed to have because I'm a pastor's wife, but just um, 
how God made me. And so I get to serve that way. So I'm thankful that, and just our church environment is really, um, free that way. So I've just gotten to serve with the kids or with the junior high, um, or with some local stuff we've done with um, engaging the community through, um, we'll talk about an issue at a pub or something, and I get to participate in that because that's a something I really enjoy. So it's been cool to get to do. Yeah, you have a real, way. you have a diaconal bent to your gifts, don't you? Like you're, oh, you make, you serve, you yeah. create ways to serve people when they by making a meal and or stopping by or something like that. Sure. And then, then the two of us have been seeking the Lord about how to open our home, yeah. certainly in a congregation, continue to grow in that, to have our living room, a place where people come, but also uh, pastors and, um, and their wives or, and sometimes their kids will come and stay with us mm-hmm. at our house. And so uh, that could be for three days or it could be for 10 weeks. And um, it's sort of a, I don't know if you've heard of Labrie, but it's mm-hmm. sort of that mindset of, for pastors, and uh, mm-hmm. those aren't those aren't families that are in crisis, uh, but they're just uh, pastoral families in need of rest and reflection, a safe place to uh, ask, seek, and knock. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, so we do that together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just trying to f- provide a place, and not really any agenda. Just yeah, <laughs> so yeah we sort of continue great. our ordinary routine yeah. of life and. People, those folks are just welcome to join in and sleep without guilt and mm-hmm. eat dinner with us if they want and yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. So they'll come and just stay with you for a while yeah. and just be part of your life. Yep. But it's not for the purpose of having meetings together per se and things right. like that. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's yeah, nice. Yeah, we end up we end up having a a meeting over hot chocolate, mm-hmm. all sitting on the floor in the kitchen, you know, or something <laughs> like yeah, that, you right. know. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I will listen to sermons and get feedback or, you know, we will meet in an intentional way to sort of uh, pay attention to a question they're asking for their local ministry. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And, uh, they participate as little or as much as they want in the life of Riverside. And yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's probably a much needed thing for, for those who it's primarily for those who have been in leadership and things or people in all different situations well, right or? now it's just uh definitely uh people who are pastors okay mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so pastors and their families that's yeah. great yeah zach you were mentioning earlier that you have a background in social work mm-hmm. can you tell me a little bit about that what did you do that way yeah uh, my college degree is a bsw bachelor of social work and uh i'd went to college on a you know theater scholarship drama acting all that stuff thought i'd be a star you know and <laughs> or make my living as an artist you know in that way but uh, some various circumstances of God's providence. You know, I I ended up choosing um, social work, and uh, and I think I think what that has done is helped me a great deal in in learning to basically listen mm-hmm. and uh, and be aware of the plight of human beings um, in and outside of congregations. And uh, sometimes someone will say, you know, they'll ask a question. If I was going to go into ministry of any kind, what kind of degree would you recommend that I get in college? And I'll say, well, the Lord will use anything, whether you have a degree in college or not, doesn't matter. But <laughs> mm-hmm. but if you're asking for a choice, some people will say philosophy, and that's awfully good. But I'll tend to say social work. Mm. Um, it's just the other side of that coin, you know, yeah. uh, the uh, other side of the intellectual coin of of seeing what goes on in the life of people. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting in in pastoral training how much um, 
how easily that can be divorced from people in mm-hmm. some ways mm-hmm. and, and really understanding what they're really going through. And it, it seems like one of the barriers we encounter pastorally too, is people trying to hide from us what they're really going through. And yeah. so having been exposed to it really well, that's probably helpful in coming in to pastoral work and seeking to engage. Yeah. I'm always, uh, it's amazing, uh, remarkable when our Lord Jesus says, you know, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And the very next thing he does is take them to this massive group of people. And it's just a motley crew of people, mm-hmm. you know, uh, with profound sickness, uh, body, wreckage of body and mind, poor um, from the Decapolis, you know, the Gentile nations who believed in all kinds of gods or from Israel. It's just this incredible group of people. And for if you were you know, Peter, James, and John, or whoever it was at that point, my memory is escaping me, but whoever those disciples were at that moment, uh, I think he just led you into a whole unclean group of people, you know, being raised the way they were. And um, and so sometimes I think, oh, I wish I could have, uh, you know, read theology. Back when I was a student, we would have read a theologian named Burkhoff. I, I, I wish I would have read Burkhoff's theology um, down in the emergency room at the mm. local hospital, mm-hmm. like read about the attributes of God right there when the the people come in and it's a trauma situation or and people are having to wait and wade through insurance papers or lack of insurance papers while their child is wheezing or you know just to connect the dots mm-hmm. and the Lord Jesus seemed to do that for those who followed him for sure mm. yeah Jessica with more of a diaconal bent, just as, as Zach's describing it. How is that for you entering into these situations with with people who are hurting and struggling or uh, just as you're involved in the life of the church with what Zach's calling takes him into? Um, do you feel that's a great like supplement to that? Do you feel, how, how does that work out for you? Yeah, well, I think uh, I've been learning a lot about just trying to be present um, because of my temperament, I like to do things. And so I'll want to jump into, well, what can I just do? Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a lot of helpful things to do sometimes, you know, making meals or whatever, but also just sitting with someone, not really being able to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a blessing because I feel like I've had a lot more opportunity to do that, you know, Mm -hmm. um, with the various situations when people will call him or whatever and getting to go along and just be there. Um, it's, you know, the Lord can work there, just being there and not knowing what to say and if you feel uneasy about it, but it, it it's a blessing just to mm. sit. That's great. <laughs> too. Yeah. Zach, you were mentioning in the, in the talks today that you're more of an Eeyore, mm-hmm. Jessica's more <laughs> yeah. of a, a Tigger. Yes. How does that <laughs> dynamic work out uh, in your marriage and just... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah. I think I would wake up, you know, the mornings for me are sad. Just generally speaking, um, I just wake up, and sadness is the first thing that's usually on my mind when I wake up. And uh, and when Jessica wakes up, that is not the first thing on her mind. <laughs> She's like, you know, it's a new day. Yay! Good morning, morning, morning. <laughs> and um, it's a she's my best friend, and that's that's a real and a sister in Christ, and um, in a very non trite and kind way. It's it's a help to me. So there are times where I can see the dark side of something, and that can be a strength. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jessica sees the not just the positive side, but sees the promise. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I can't see the promise of the Lord. I see the thing that needs the promise. 
Mm. And Jessica sees the promise. And um, I think that's a real strength. I'm sure there are ways we, I th- if there are ways that we um, bump into each other, it would be in the you're a doer and I'm a beer mm-hmm. by <laughs> by temperaments or natures. And, yeah. and so sometimes you'll want to do and I want to be and, uh, and, uh, and sometimes um, we need to do when I'm resisting wanting to be. <laughs> Sometimes we need to just be, and you're resisting wanting to do. Yeah. I guess that those are some real things of the complement of the gifts and temperaments, and then also the potential conflicts of it. I'm, is that does that sound about right? Yeah, I think you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica, one thing I often wonder uh, in situations like that, because we have a, a similar dynamic in in our marriage, where I tend to be more melancholy in how I view things. And mm-hmm. um, my wife is much more optimistic, focusing yeah. on what's good and mm-hmm. uh, those types of things. So I understand how that helps me because it balances <laughs> out like this, whoa, you don't need to go there as much <laughs> or whatever. But I often wonder on the flip side, are there things about Zach's perspective that you find helpful to you as well? Sure. Um, yeah. I think I can I can just go to what to, I mean, it goes with the doer thing, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like, what do we do? How should we fix it? And he's a lot more able to just slow down and feel, you know, or, Mm -hmm. um, or to be able to think about how somebody else might be feeling and Mm -hmm. help me to see that and empathize a little bit before I try to just fix it. (laughs) Makes a lot of sense. That's good. Um, Good. Well, I want to talk a little bit about um, the two different books we're talking about at the um, conference this weekend. Excited that the audios will be available for people. That's exciting. Um, but the, the imperfect pastor, uh, we could start with that one. It deals a lot with managing expectations in ministry. The the subtitle discovering joy and our limitations through daily apprenticeship with Jesus. There's a lot packed into to that right there. Um, but as our listeners are either pastors or people who are involved in helping other people, um, what are some of the temptations that you've seen that people in those helping roles can face, especially in regards to our limitations? Um, I was wondering if you'd talk with us some about that. Yeah. I, I, well, there are three basic ones that I try to flesh out in the book so that to help me and to help us think about it. And, and, and in essence, those three temptations revolve around the, the belief that we need to be like God in our care for other people, or that other people think we need to be like God to care for them. And those three temptations are to to think that we need to know everything, to think that we need, we can fix everything, and to think that we need to be everywhere at once for everybody. And uh, of course, we've to know everything is omniscience, and to fix everything is omnipotence, and to be everywhere at once is omnipresence, and of course, that describes the character of God, not us. And uh I think right there, um, we could ask ourselves this question: Am I am I am I more tempted to try to know it all, to control a situation by knowing it all, fixing it all, or being everywhere? Mm-hmm. Um, and then asking a second question: um, What what are those uh, which which of those aspects do those I serve applaud? Mm-hmm. So, do those I'm serving are they more likely to applaud it when I try to know everything? Applaud me when I try to be everywhere at once. Applaud me when I try to fix it all. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason I put it that way is because um, when I'm in need, uh, 
waiting upon God is, is not easy, and so I'll grasp for straws. And so if you as a caregiver um, relate to me in such a way that I don't, that my day feels fixed, I'm going to applaud it. And if you relate in such a day as I never have to have a moment to figure out something by myself, I will applaud it. And if you always rearrange your schedule, always everywhere, so you're always with me, and I always, then I'll applaud it. Mm -hmm. But I may actually not be being helped. Um, And uh, I begin to consume the one trying to care for me rather than love them and look to the Lord with them, receive what they give. So I think both as a caregiver and one in need of care, there's just so much to say about that, but that that's the core mm-hmm. of wanting to be like God or requiring someone to be like God for us in these areas of knowing everything, fixing everything, being everywhere at once. Yeah. 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 It seems like part of what's seeking to be done in the biblical counseling movement is people people are craving to be fixed in our churches. Often mm-hmm. we're, we're framed up that way of, yeah. I just need to fix this problem. And they've gone everywhere but the church to be fixed. And so yeah. part of it's been, hey, come to the church and we can fix you. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's some truth to that of yeah. God's word and the Absolutely. gospel is what we need. Mm-hmm. Um, but boy, it seems like it can be easy then in our desire to try and um, maybe even compete with these alternative ways of fixing or whatever that we're um, not actually helping. I think the challenge for us is the word quick fix. Because... Um, uh, we, I mean, I'm no different. I'm a consumer. I've been raised in this country and uh, among all its beautiful strengths. But a downside is we are an impatient people. We want immediate gratification. And uh, the, the, the thing is the word haste is almost always equated with folly in the Bible. And patience is equated with wisdom and the fruit of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so um, rarely does our Lord immediately, quantitatively, remove difficulty from our lives. He's really not efficient in that way. Yeah. Uh, and so so uh, fixing requires wisdom. Wisdom slows down. And so to come to seek uh, genuine healing uh, is rarely fast, um, but it does go deep. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the, a lot of us just aren't accustomed to, to that. Um, to, to slow down means I have to deal with negative emotions. Uh, it means I have to end an evening without my questions answered. It, it means I have to step into another day when things are still foggy and stormy and, um, and trust that uh, this is the way through. And, um, and so that can, that can be a challenge for us. And then as a caregiver, we can speed up and feel like uh, we're going to be overlooked or we're going to let someone down if we don't come through mm-hmm. you know, quickly. And um, part of that challenge is that not only this quick fix idea, which is almost always hasty, unless you're in an emergency room, right? Right. Uh, but even in an emergency room, the quickness is to stabilize rather than fix. Yeah. And so we, we, we need help with that. Yeah. It seems like that's a, a helpful pastoral way to think about it, too. Like the emergency room, there are some situations where we need to dive in, Absolutely. be there get the situation stabilized, but yeah. still keep this eye towards it's all, it's going to be a long process of healing yeah. and helping people see that. Yeah. And when we're in the emergency room, the per, we might be chaotic and hasty and speedy and people might be hastily moving all about, but someone has to look us in the eyes calmly mm-hmm. and say, you know, Mr. S wine, 
look me in the eyes, you know. Uh, and if they came to me saying, Mr. S.Y., this is crazy, <laughs> you know. Uh, and so um, that inner pace uh, that we need, even if our circumstantial pace is fast, this inner pace of the soul uh, is what we need. And, you know, that doesn't come quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are some ways that I... To me, that seems like such a great diagnosis of of those three omnis as far mm. as the temptations that we find. What are ways then that we battle it? So, what I'm hearing is here's some here's some questions of how to diagnose it. Yep. What what do you run towards, and then what's applauded, especially yeah. the applauding one. Um, but then once you realize those are there, yes. <laughs> how do we continue to battle that and and change from that? Yes. Uh... That's such a good question. Number one is we name we name it. So I we name things. I this is uncomfortable. This is awkward. I feel uh really unskilled and incapable of waiting. Um or so naming it. And uh, like the Apostle Paul, you know, uh I have no rest, I'm afflicted at every turn, I have fears within, I have fighting without. Um, just naming it. Mm-hmm. Uh second is uh, learning to apply the gospel in community. Uh, um, Jesus is the one who knows I don't have to. He's the one who fixes. It isn't for me. And he's the one who is everywhere that anybody needs him to be, and that isn't me. And so we uh, are, we, we can say it this way. We repent not not because we don't know everything, but because we're trying to know everything, and that's God's job. Mm-hmm. We we repent not because we can't be everywhere at once, but because we're trying to be everywhere at once. But that's His job, and so that application of the gospel in community in a non trite way um, is a part of that for sure. But I I, I also think that um, in seeing the Lord Jesus as the one who fixes and knows it and is everywhere for us, uh, we have to trust uh, means and provisions that he's given us that slows everything down. So there are means of rest. We might refer to them as ordinances or means of grace, but um, there are, you know, uh, one day in seven, four portions in a day, uh, community of his word, ugly praying, you know, from the Psalms and uh, orienting ourselves to a pace that enables us to grow in our beholding of him. And, um, and th- that, those, uh, those graces, those routines of grace become particularly more important when we're in the midst of chaos because they, they give us the next thing to do uh, and keep our heart oriented toward him. So that becomes more like a way of being. Mm-hmm. That's a way of being in the world. And that's a big thing. But it starts in ordinary moments on a given day. How do you seek to um, help each other with that? Are you are you aware of each other's propensities towards these wanting to be like God? And is it confessing that quickly to each other or sometimes helping each other see you might be? trying to be God or <laughs> yeah <laughs> readily confessing is awesome when that happens <laughs> <Yeah. really. laughs> I think in our and I'll speak from my side for you I, I think in, at its best when I am a brother friend lover covenant lover in Christ 
who gently knows Jessica's strength of doing, then I'm able to invite her to know, not in a condemning way, but to know she's freed in Christ to rest. Mm. The day can stop. At its worst, I'm I'm her best friend, covenant lover, brother in Christ who puts on his pastor voice <laughs> and suddenly talks theologically about, this is about rest, you know, and that is no fun or not enjoyable in those moments. Isn't that, isn't that right? Yeah. But... <laughs> Oh, but I'm thankful. I mean, that's where the the difference between us is helpful because mm-hmm. he's really able to see where I'm, um, I'm really trying to do, and it's becoming, it's becoming a hindrance to rest or a um, resisting of rest and mm-hmm. of trusting God really and of of the gospel even. So just um, reminding me. I can slow down and wait, and it's the last thing I want to hear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's where he's a good friend to me, and I think um, in reverse. What do you say? How do I help you? <laughs> the way you speak into my life. Yeah. So uh, uh, this is this is a, a memory. It's sort of a metaphor for things. You know, <laughs> the memory is I'm I'm heading out quickly to sort of a crisis moment that requires the elders to gather suddenly. Mm-hmm to think about a situation. And as I'm going out the door, Jessica uh, pulls me close, kisses me like she means it as my uh, covenant love, and looks me in the eye and says, you are, this, you are a son of the king. Go get him. That's a remarkably empowering moment that I won't ever forget. And that's become a part of our language in our life and family now. You know, when we text, you know, we have our, U R A S O T K, you are son of the king. G G E exclamation point. Go get him. And um, I think Jessica reminds me of of promise. I hear I I see darker things as a strength, but as I've mentioned, I can also um, experience condemning ways of thinking. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jessica seems to perceive that and uh, uh, draws near with uh, touch. Uh, and then looks me in the eye and tells me who I am. So I feel like Jessica reminds me of my identity a mm-hmm. lot. Um, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that about the the son of the king, daughter yeah. of the king, because it's so different than you're the best pastor, you're the best guy in this role yeah. in your flesh. It's something about your identity of a child of God and what he's seeking to do in it that you're framing up in that whole moment Yeah. Um, to send you to do that. So. That's a neat way of doing that because I, I think so often we want to encourage our spouse to, mm-hmm. to do these things, but it's so easy to just have man-centered encouragement mm-hmm. or ins- mm-hmm. encouragement that throws these limitations back in our faces in many ways. Yeah. So that's a that's a helpful tip that way. So well, in that way he put it about just um, is really freeing, I think, about how we're supposed to repent of trying to mm-hmm. do these things, but just... Really, that reminder of you're never meant to actually do that. Yeah. You can let go, and it, that's actually really freeing. And so I've been thankful for that reminder. Mm-hmm. Um, so realizing these things and then and battling them in our own hearts, that's that's definitely what we're called to mm-hmm. in being caregivers. But then how can we manage the expectations of others, or how can we love them well by helping them look to us in the right way? Yeah. <laughs> um, because that's a whole other half of the equation, it seems. 
What are some things you've found or ways to think about it? Yeah, when I was first in ministry, I thought if anyone asked me a question, here I come to save the day. You know, I put on mm-hmm. my cape and I rush out. And um, and um, for, for many reasons, that's no good over a long period of time. And uh, I think one of the practical things I've learned now is if someone calls, for example, a phone call, and they say, you know, Pastor, I need you. Um, uh, what, what I'm learning to say is... Uh, you know, I'll ask some questions. I'll try to sort out, is this an emergency mm-hmm. actually or a felt emergency for them? And if it's a, a felt emergency for them, and I'm, and I'm about ready to, to watch my son play, my seventh grader play basketball, then I've learned to say this, um, is there anyone that you can talk to right now? So that's the first question. I, I think I'm learning I don't have to be the caregiver, but I do facilitate the care. Mm-hmm. And so is there anyone you can talk to right now in your house group, a friend, family? And most of the time, someone will pause and say, yes, there is. Mm-hmm. And then I'll say, if that's the case, I'll say, okay, um, I'm going to pray for you right now. I encourage you, call that person, talk with them. They love you. They care for you. And then I'm going to follow up with you in about three hours or tomorrow afternoon, Hmm. you know, or, um, and uh, so may I pray for you right now? So prayer right then, I'm going to follow up. And you know what happens uh, eight out of 10 times? By the time I follow up, they're okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, They call it in the moment of the of the felt emergency. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm not talking about an actual emergency, right? but you know what I'm saying? If there's an actual emergency, I get up, I leave the game, I go right to the emergency room. But I think facilitating care for people. Mm. Uh, so in a pastor's role, the secondly to that, we've developed a team at, at the church where I serve where if, if someone's going through something, then we identify a counselor uh, with a counseling facility that we've helped start. Mm-hmm. And the uh, we identify a deacon and an elder and a friend of the, and that becomes a sort of a web of care, how mm-hmm. we think of it. And that frees. Who identifies those people? Or how does that I, identification take place? Um, uh, uh, if I'm the primary point of contact, mm-hmm. as, uh, then I'm, then I'm going to, then I'll ask, mm-hmm. do they have a friend they trust? Okay. Do they have a counselor that mm-hmm. they see? Um, and then I'll, do they know? Is there a particular deacon or elder that they're comfortable with? Got it. And if they are, then that's where we go. And if they if they if they don't, then I'll recommend a counselor okay. I trust. I'll mm-hmm. recommend a, an elder or deacon who has particular gifts for their situation, mm-hmm. and that allows me to serve in a more spiritual director type of role in a pastoral way, um, and allows a therapist to be a therapist, allows an elder to be an elder and a deacon to be a deacon. Mm-hmm. And a friend to be a friend. And um, those are a couple of things. So in the moment, is there someone you can talk to? By the way, if there isn't someone they can talk to, mm-hmm. then um, uh, there are folks in our church that over the years uh, we've equipped and learned mm. that they are good in that kind of a moment. So if I if I literally can't go in that moment, then I'll I'll recommend, would you feel comfortable if... So and so, if I ask, if I called so and so right now and asked them to contact you, would you would you feel okay with that? And a lot of times, people will say yes. Now, I have to say, what I'm talking about now is because I'm nine years in mm-hmm. at the congregation. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone who's a pastor needs to know that uh, when I did that in my first year, 
a couple of people left our church mm. because they they took my facilitation of care. They couldn't see it as care. They thought because I myself did not come right then, even though I offered, I can call at this point, I'm going to follow up at this point, um, they didn't see that as care, and so they left. And that's unfortunate, but I, I would encourage a, a caregiver in ministry that grieve that, um, but continue on, you know, and uh, teach these things, you know, um, so that people understand what you're what you're doing. So it's not all roses. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, but it's an eye towards the bigger picture of people not always coming to you as Jesus to fix problems, but yes. seeing the church as a part of that and the yes. various members in different ways. And- I think that that web of care concept is important uh, because so so on where my gifts and temperament are, I need that so that I don't get over-involved. I can over-function mm-hmm. in those ways. There are other kinds of pastoral leaders who under-function relationally. Um, their real strength is the uh, teaching mm-hmm. from God's Word, and they actually under-function as a shepherd. And this web of care can be a real help and hope for that kind of gifted person to mm-hmm. know that they can step forward and be a part of pastoral care uh, by relying, being a part of and relying on a team. And so I think both sides of that coin, you know, that can be a help. Um, are there any other thoughts from The Imperfect Pastor? Um, just, I mean, it's a whole book. <laughs> so, I mean, there are lots of thoughts in it. But just as you think through people who are seeking to help others, um, any other concepts from that or, or things that you've come to learn that you'd like to talk about? Or Well, I... Um, I just think we love Jesus. I, I I don't mean, yeah. I think the heart of the book and really the heart of what we're talking about is to follow him and uh, that he's lovely and he's um, delicious and he kisses us with the kisses of his mouth and we are in, we are in an ins, inseparable union with him. And he... Uh, and the Father and the Spirit come and make their home with us, he says. And um, to, when part of that book is a story, uh, an ongoing thread of a story, that when I first started in ministry, that's really all it was about. The only reason I went into vocational ministry be, was this internal sense of call, this external confirmation. But it was because I loved the Lord. And um, and somewhere along the line, in the midst of all the care, in the midst of all the ministry, in the midst of all the Word, it can become about something else. And uh, so part of this book is recovering our our love. Thomas Watson said, God is a delicious good. And recovering that that old language that um, some of the old timers would borrow from Song of Solomon, you know, to apply it to our relationship with him. And so when the when the when the bride and groom say, uh, come, let's get um, drunk on love together in Song of Solomon. Uh, some of those old timers would tell us that's the way the Lord is with us, you know, inviting us to to be just wonderfully covenanted. And so I think that's another thing that really undergirds and uh, umbrellas all that we're talking about, that we're really seeking Jesus together. Uh and that puts all the fixing and knowing and doing into its proper place. Mm-hmm. 
and it's really good for us. Yeah. Well, one, I mean, one thing that came to mind uh, was just too, if, if the pastor is having this sort of, uh, what you're talking about, about waiting or managing care or whatever, there's a few people that could maybe try to then go somewhere else and Mm -hmm. do an end run around. And I've encountered that a little bit as his wife, but I think Mm -hmm. even just other people in the church who are then go to an elder or go to whatever. And so I think everybody can run into this like Mm -hmm. thing of people coming and wanting you to fix in the moment and just trying to also be a coordinated team of, of, of caring, but also letting the person, you know, wrestle with that and, and, and not stepping in to fill that void Mm -hmm. that he's trying to, you know, wisely leave. And then if I come along and say, Oh, well I'll do it, you know, or whatever, or I'll call him for you or I'll, Mm. whatever. Um, I can have found myself tempted to do that a few times too. And needing to have the same ability to wait. And yeah, that's, that's wonderfully said. Cause I, I, uh, one of the things we've been learning is that we're we're not just, I guess, to use lingo, we're not just mobilizing a people; we're cultivating a culture, mm-hmm. and um, and so a a culture in the life of the church that resists doing large, famous things as fast as possible, mm-hmm. and values small, mostly overlooked things over a long period of time, is a that's a whole organizational culture to speak crassly about it. You know, that's a whole congregational cultural assumption that we're actively teaching, facilitating, communicating, trying to grow in. And it means I have to learn to wait too. If, if the elders are taking this certain pace with this certain thing that I really care about or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just all of us together. And, uh, you know, and uh, we want to say that, you know, when we say words like elders taking a slower pace, (laughs) I need to clarify what we're not saying. (laughs) No, you know what I mean? Like in my own experiences, like sometimes elders are just cowardly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and passive and they just keep kicking to the next meeting, Mm -hmm. a a thing they have to do and they won't. That's not, that's a different, that's a different discussion. This is trying to wisely encounter, wisely walk with someone who's walking through um, Parkinson's mm. diagnosis or an RA diagnosis um, or they've just lost their child and there is no quick fix to anything. And how do we have a web of care that's present and active, not trying to remove the pain, mm-hmm. but to to be a sustaining presence in the midst of it, mm-hmm. that kind of pace. Uh, so sometimes we we name things. There's lots of ways. I do write about this in the book. I'll just say that. How how do you cultivate a congregational culture that values small, mostly overlooked things over a long period of time in its leadership and in its way of being? So I, I do talk at length about mm-hmm. that in the book. Yeah, it's really helpful to be reminded of that it's, it's more than just the leadership being on the same page about this, mm-hmm. but um, people will look elsewhere and... Um, have we communicated? Do do people understand why it would be appropriate to go what seems like more slowly? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, people yeah. want to be. It's a a lot of it's a perception type thing, and yeah. um, can get interpreted in all kinds of wrong ways. Sure. Well, Zach and Jessica, thanks for being with us today. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Part two of this interview will air on the next episode, and we'll talk about Zach's other book, Spurgeon Sorrows. 
I also want to give you one last reminder about our conference. We're only two weeks away now from this year's Summer Institute in San Diego. The topics are domestic abuse and addictions, and we'd love to see you there. There's still a chance to register, so go to ibcd.org events, and all the information about the conference and registration is there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.